0: I'm Nate Cooper, founder and managing partner at Barrel Ventures. And I'm panicked about our planet.
1: What is happening? Nothing. Much at all. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. We have an in-studio guest. Yes, we do. So it's not like, do we say, uh, let's get him on the phone? No, we're not going to do the ring-ring thing. <laughs> but this intern milling around, what do you think of Ethan in here? I think Ethan He's is- He's not gotten it- on anybody's nerves yet. No, not yet. It's, it's the longest-running intern at Social Leverage. The first one lasted about five minutes. Gone. Well, the first one didn't know that he was an experiment. <laughs> <They were> just- <laughs> We gave him COVID and fired him. <laughs> he came in, we just rubbed him, and then we sent him on his way. Yeah. And so, in-studio guest, it's was our second in-studio guest. He's here golfing. No, he's here with his family and uh, friends of our family, the Coopers. Nate Cooper's here. All right. Say hello, Nate. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. All right. Well, now, Nate's worried about the planet, so I don't even know if we should do this show. Because you and I could care- give a fuck about the planet. Uh, you can't. And surprisingly, it's from Chicago. Why do people in Chicago care? Are you the only person in Chicago who cares about the planet? I don't think
0: most people do. Um, <laughs> it was less about the planet and more about the stupidity of humans.
1: Yes. Well, that we get along with. As someone who founded StockTwits, people email me all the time. Go, how, how, you, how do you deal with all the idiots on StockTwits? I go, idiots, that's the internet.
0: I think the two most common lines I say to entrepreneurs is people aren't
1: as smart as we think. Uh, and they're also not as dumb as we
0: think, so they're, they're somewhere in the
1: middle. Yes. So so you're down here visiting from Chicago. There is a lot of Chicago people in Arizona, when was the first time, what was the reasoning you guys came down here?
0: My cousins moved out here 30 years ago, before the 101 existed, and we started coming out here for spring break then, and I've uh, come ever since.
1: It's a Chicago town.
0: It's a Chicago town. You got Portillo's, you got Lou's.
1: You've got the Blackhawks get more fans than the Coyotes. The Cubs get more fans than the Diamondbacks. And the Bears get more fans than the Cardinals, they call them. Yeah. Is that true? Like, have you ever come down? You're not a big enough fan.
0: I haven't come down for a Bears game, but uh, I've gone to spring training. It's a blast. I mean, also, why wouldn't you want to leave Chicago in the middle of winter?
1: So were you born when Jordan was in his prime? I
0: was around when Jordan was in his prime. How old were you? I was by the end of it twelve.
1: And so you that was like a key that age. Was, yeah. So six to twelve was like Jordan.
0: Yeah. And was so LeBron like
1: no comparison to Jordan. In terms of like what his effect on a city and kids and the nation. He was Chicago. He was Chicago. And
0: I think he's still if you go ask if you go to any, you know, country around the world and you say Chicago, you know, no matter what language they'll say, Oh, Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls.
1: And is it like Lance Armstrong, even though we know Michael's a douche? That in Chicago, they love him no matter what? Yeah. No, I don't know if Michael's a douche. Michael, <laughs> Michael Jordan
0: is God in Chicago.
1: So my son, we he, this is a funny story. There's a picture of Max. We He was playing at San Diego. Have you met him? Yeah. We not play golf son, together. But no, I'm talking about Michael Jordan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Jordan and I this not what you said. He together. Said, you know, people aren't as dumb as they normally are or are smart. So have you met Michael?
0: Michael, so I did my bachelor party in the Bahamas. Uh-huh. And we went to a nightclub. And Michael Jordan was there with the mod Rashad random, just randomly. And so I say that he was on my bachelor party.
1: We, <laughs> yeah. made, we made
0: eye contact once or twice. Uh, so that's my experience meeting
1: Michael Jordan. That's not bad. He was there for an FTX conference in the 70s. Big investor, <laughs> yeah. A big pre investing in, in the 70s. FTX. Well, that's when your bachelor party was in the when was your bachelor party six, seven, seven years ago, seven
0: years ago, yeah. Something like that.
1: So, Max. Speaking of Jordan, I'm scared of people. Like, when there's a rumor about a person, I'm like, you know, he's like a god. So he's playing at San Diego Country Club. There's a lot of athletes that play there in San Diego. In rumor is he's there. And Max is probably 11. So he's long retired. Everybody knows who Michael Jordan is. So he's making the turn. And I'm like, I am like, go, Max. It's like Instagram had just started. I go, Max, you're going to kill yourself if you don't go up to him and take a picture. And Max was like, you know, he's a kid. He's like, okay. So he takes his phone over there and Jordan's got a cigar and I'm like, I think there's he's just going to kill Max, right? Because it's a private, like Michael's there to not be bothered. And Max goes right out to him and I'm like a hundred yards away and I see him and I'm so scared that like, and he gets a selfie with Jordan. And I'm sure Jordan wasn't happy, he smiled in the photo, but uh, Max had his his shot with MJ. Max is going to be a
0: great investor one day just because he has absolutely no shame of getting in contact with people.
1: Right, he probably texts you. Yeah. He is Max Homa. He's caddied for (laughs) Max. He's played with Max Homa. So Max assumes they're best friends. (laughs) So Max will text him. He goes, have a good round today. And I I go, Max, you can't, just because you have his phone number doesn't mean you're allowed to text. He'll do the same thing with Xander. He ran into Xander, gets his phone number, and then texts him all the time. Amazing. (laughs) And so. so cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool because Max was a shy kid. So anyway, so you were down here for Silver Lake. I think it's the center of the golf universe right now we have homa we have rom we have uh finnow yeah and they're there pretty much every day it's just
0: fun to see in practice it's it's rare to get to see sort of masters of the world at their work yeah it's
1: kind of like watching you invest in fintech it's like (laughs) it's like you hear a sound from these guys first of all they huddle together so they're all friendly yeah which is nice they speak the same language of purity of golf And the sounds that come off the ground when they hit a ball, as fans of golf, it's just a different... It's not even fun. I quit on you. I didn't even show up the other day. I was supposed to play with Nate, and it was just like, the weather wasn't perfect. I'm like, I don't like golf enough to spend five hours. I've got a rule if it's under 40 degrees, I'm I'm not going out there. Well, compared to Chicago, it was a good day for you. Yeah. For me, It 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 wasn't a good day. So, Nate and I have all this stuff in common. You knew me on Twitter, I guess? We met on Twitter, and then we got introduced through a mutual friend. And then we've become pals. And so Nate's dad is a member also at Silverleaf. He's a wild man. So tell quickly people about your, he's a classic entrepreneur pre-internet.
0: Yeah. So my father and grandfather started a business selling fresh cut potatoes to Chicago hot dog stands
1: in the <laughs> That's 80s. That's amazing. That's amazing, right? Uh, it's old school.
0: As dirty as it sounds. And then one day, one of the large chains called and said, Hey, can you guys do onions? Uh, they didn't know what an onion was, but said, of course. Literally, I think they dried their first batch of onions in a coin-operated clothes dryer. Uh, and when they sold the
1: business 20-something years ago, they were shipping close to 4 million pounds of produce a week. Chicago has got all these people that like do all. it's not just trading, it's real estate, it's manufacturing, it's produce. Chicago's the home of like unsexy businesses. And big money. Yeah, I mean, Chicago is the flyover. Uh, it's part of the flyover state, but it is the one state that used to not get flyover. What do you think since Like, has, has it become less relevant in co? It feels like no one brings up Chicago.
0: I think you're sort of fighting this internal battle. You know, there's crime in the city. It's not as bad as everyone says. Um, Chicago's always going to be a major hub because of transportation and logistics and supply chain and... And wealth. And wealth. Um You know, we talk a lot over the last few years about people are building solutions for problems that don't exist, right? Uh, The ideas that come out of Chicago usually tend to be tangible ideas that are solving real problems that need to be solved. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the valuations tend to be much more realistic. I was having a conversation today about, you know, a Midwest Series A versus a coastal, you know, pre-seed. Right. It's a similar (laughs) valuation. Yeah. Uh, And so I think Chicagoans tend to solve real tangible problems that need to be solved.
1: So you're an entrepreneur yourself, but when did you get the investing bug?
0: So I was an entrepreneur for about a dozen years, Uh, helped start a restaurant chain, decided that if I, you know, I grew up in food, Uh, started a restaurant chain 13 or so years ago, Uh, came to the conclusion that if I spent another day in food, I was going to have a nervous breakdown. Decided to go back to just because there is no
1: it never stops. You
0: know the thing about restaurants; um, it's one of those things that, from the outside, it looks a lot sexier than it is, mm-hmm. right? Restaurants, you know, most other businesses you can build on the success that you had the previous day, mm-hmm. right? And you know, you get to
1: no le- you you start over. You the start over. You are you are on stage
0: every single day, and nobody cares what you guys did yesterday or the year before or the month before. If you mess up. One time, someone's, you know, probably not going to come back. so I decided to go back to business school and, of course, started another food business, um, which was essentially if Lunchables and Blue Apron had a baby. Uh, I'm not sure why Kellogg let me graduate because I was barely in school. That was your
1: idea during business school? Right before
0: business school. uh, Started it with...
1: Is Kellogg named after Kellogg's, the cereal, like the food brand?
0: I should know this. I think there's some connection. There has to be. Um... And so built that business up while I was in school. We raised a bunch of venture money from top tier oh, firms across the country. Um, business kind of exploded overnight. Had about 40, 50 employees by the time we graduated. And uh-huh. then about six, seven years ago, we started having conversations with strategics uh, and actually got a term sheet from uh, one of the largest food companies in the world. I'm not going to name the name. Uh, and another you know, top five food company in the world was going to invest. Went through six months of diligence, 60 days of legal back and forth, and six hours before funding, uh, they pulled out of the deal and left us with a half million dollar legal bill and essentially bankrupted us, which was wow. a harrowing experience. And how old were you? Um, I was 30 at the time, I believe. Okay. It was uh, about six months before we got married. So, you know, going into my marriage unemployed. And so you wound down Wise Apple? Wound down Wise Apple. Um, you know, it was obviously like your heart getting ripped out of you in hindsight, probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Because it might not have worked. Not that it might not have worked. Um, I think first off the business would have exploded during COVID and going into a manufacturing plant in the middle of COVID with an infant and newborn, not really what I would have want to have been doing. Got it. Um, and secondly, you know, growing up, I was always the kid that. When you asked me what I was good at in life, I I didn't really have a word to describe it, right? And you know, being an entrepreneur, you're wearing a million different hats and I loved it and I enjoyed it and I thought I was good at it, but I still didn't really find my niche. And now being on the other side as an investor, I feel like I was born to do this. And so we went on Wise Apple, started investing kind of not full time, figured out sort of what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, and like a lot of people, the first few checks we wrote, uh, that I wrote ended up being really successful
1: and kind of parlayed that into where we are today. And so barrel ventures, I'm an LP, but barrel ventures, I'm a personal. LP. Barrel, just tell people about,
0: about, yeah. Barrel. So barrel, uh, how we sort of started, uh, I had been investing in my own. Um, and then about two years ago. Some people reached out and said, hey, you know, you built this track record investing throughout the food ecosystem. Would you ever consider raising outside capital? Uh, And my first response was no, please lose my number. Uh, And I said that for a couple of reasons. Uh, The first reason was, I have this perspective, I'm sure you share it, uh, that if you're managing outside capital, you should have a firm belief that you're best in the world at something, right? Because if you don't, what are you doing? How are you going to get into deals? You're not going to be able to play in the right sandbox. You really can't advocate for yourselves to get on a cap table of competitive deals. It's true. And who was I to say, you know, four years ago that doing this for years that I was best in the world at something? I started reflecting and talking to some of our, you know, portfolio CEOs, you know, where we had small investments in companies alongside tier one venture firms and multinational strategics you know, where they had tens of millions of dollars. And I get notes from the board members after the board meetings that said, Hey, so-and-so XYZ gave you a heads up. She said you were her, you know, most value add investor. And you know, this happened multiple times. And so I said, okay, maybe we do have something unique, a unique perspective. Maybe we are good at this. The second thing was, um, I think the incentives in this world are messed up, right? Where managers are motivated by fees. How do you get more fees? You raise more money. How do you raise more money? You show markups. And if we haven't learned anything over the past 18 months, it's that markups are essentially meaningless. Yes, it actually can be dangerous. Exactly. And so I said, okay, um, I'm not really motivated by fees, no desire to ever raise, you know, massive fund where I say, hey, our investment period is three years, you know, 11 months later, we're 95% deployed. That's not me. I'm sure you've seen that. Yep. And so I said, okay, if we could go out and raise a small fund, who could we raise it from to really level up that expertise? And the answer was, let's go raise it from a who's who of executives, family offices, corporates, sort of within the broader food ecosystem, where we can go to these entrepreneurs and companies, and at the end of the first call, they say, okay, what can I do to have you on my cap table? And that's kind of what we did. And I feel incredibly fortunate uh,
1: to be here today. And I agree. Like, I think what happened was free money, um, we're probably... 2013 when we did our first fund. I never thought about it that way because I didn't have the mentorship. I was just kind of doing it uh, because people trusted me. But yeah, looking back, like it is a little different than the than the stock market because the stock market now has indexing. You can't really index. You know, Tiger tried to do it. You can't index the private markets. So you don't have to be the best in the world to be an index that doesn't exist. Or, so or just
0: have the belief that you're the best in the world Yeah. because you might not have to prove it with data, but if you don't believe that about yourself, like, how are you going to sell that to entrepreneurs?
1: You can't. And to truly, I tell a lot of the managers that we back is like, because we back them because we like them is they have to create value. Yeah. So for at social leverage, it's always like, do we incubate something? Do we take a bigger piece of something that we believe in that no one else sees? So it's this weird look at the world and that's where the alpha Comes from, But if you're, I think what we've learned from the last five years, if you're just doing market price deals with Sequoia and Andreessen and index and everybody else, you're going to get below market returns, yeah. especially since your money is a liquid. So we're going to have some, some terrible returns, in my opinion, in the venture world. So what is it about food? What's different about food going forward? What, like, well, first of all, it's a massive industry. Yeah. So what's exciting about food? You throw a dart at a board
0: of you know anything across the food ecosystem what i say is pre-farm to post fork and everything in between you throw a dart at a board and something is going to be broken in one of those places and so you know from a 10000 foot view the way we look at the world is our food ecosystem is incredibly broken and there's truly a multi 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 trillion dollar opportunity to solve it right so you look at the future of packaging Right, packaging well, alone. Arizona
1: footprint. Packaging alone
0: is a trillion-dollar industry, and you read any you know Fortune 500 annual report, and they have a whole section devoted to packaging. Mm-hmm. Right, we're committed to using. So food is packaging. Yeah, too. we're committed to using less plastic. We're committed to using you know lowering our greenhouse gases. Right, you know, so for an example, pallet wrap, shrink wrap, that is a forty billion-dollar annual commodity that is all petroleum-based.
1: So shrink, everything's petroleum based, right? Can you, that's why you're rich. Exactly. Okay. So shrink wrap. So is that for food packaging or wrapping? Anything. Italians, right? so wrapping it's essentially the bites? same thing.
0: And so anything that comes in a container, basically anything gets, gets transported overseas or that's un- just petroleum. Is, petroleum is wrapped in, you know, plastic wrap. Mm-hmm. And so we invested in a company out of Melbourne, Australia, believe it or not, called Great Wrap. I'm in this which is making a fully biodegradable pallet wrap out of potato waste that is not only at performance parity, but at price parity. And their
1: biggest investor is the largest grocery chain in Australia. So it's no petroleum or less petroleum? No petroleum. And it's just potato. And no one knows potatoes like the Coopers. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? Because you knew everything about potatoes? No, it, it kind of... I had this
0: thesis on the future of packaging. Um, and the problem with A lot of these packaging companies is twofold. You know, I've probably spoken to 50 different companies over the past year. They're either science projects where they say, hey, we have this incredible idea. That wouldn't scale. We're creating a bioplastic or biopolymer. It's five to six years away from commercial viability, if ever. And no one wants Right. And nobody wants that. And, And, you know, I'm okay betting on execution risk or market risk, right? But betting on both of those is when it becomes a scary proposition, Or, hey, we have a solution, but it's 4, 5, 12 times the price, right? And these massive companies only care about, you know, the future of packaging until it affects their bottom line. And so... They won't do that. If you don't have something that's near price parity or line of sight to price parity, nobody cares.
1: And so potato waste, just Americans have a lot of potato waste? So there's a
0: massive... I think the fact is fifteen to twenty percent of uh, post production, so like when you turn potatoes into French fries, just gets thrown out. So McDonald's is the biggest waste producer. Not directly, but you know, yeah. there's a Simplot, there's a bunch of, and so they're figuring out. Oh,
1: the people who cut it, people for who cut McDonald's. the potatoes,
0: right? How do we figure out how to cut those deals with Simplot, or you know, there's a few other companies. How do we figure out how to take sort of the agricultural bi-waste of creating, you know, French fries or veggie noodles or whatever it is and create a different product out of it. So there's a lot of different companies that are using these agricultural waste streams to create bioplastics or other use
1: cases. And that plastic then get does it look like the plastic? You wouldn't know. Ha- would have absolutely no idea. Uh, and the trials they've done,
0: like it's a one-to-one solution. I, no, I, I like they, French
1: fries. What if I was standing next to that? Would I have an s- urge to eat? But no. I say, well, I don't understand. Why? I just feel like gorging myself on this plastic. <laughs> no, um, you it has absolutely. You probably could, eat, could it. You eat it. You, uh, could eat you
0: it. wouldn't want to, but yeah. it would, you know, decompose. And so, the, you know, packaging alone, trillion-dollar industry. You look at logistics. You know, another area is ingredients, right? So, before the war in Europe. Nobody knew that forty percent of Europe's wheat, wheat came yeah. from Ukraine. And now everyone considers themselves a global wheat expert, right? There yeah, are well o- on
1: Twitter. yeah, not everyone.
0: There are other ingredients, in my opinion that come from more war-torn countries, crazier corners of the earth that are subject to supply shock, climate change, deforestation, child labor, you name it, uh, that are, you know more at risk, cocoa and coffee being two of those, right? And so we invested in a company out of Israel alongside, you know, one of the top three chocolate sellers in the world. And they're using cell cultures to make cocoa derivatives, not as a consumer product, but as a B2B ingredient um, in,
1: you know, reactors at scale. Huh. So how do you decide? So for you, as it just common? So you look at, will the manufacturers, it's got to be price is first. Yeah, you it has to triple be the price near for... price
0: parity, right? Because yeah. no one's going to pay $14
1: for a chocolate bar is that you just going to your LPs and your network and just saying, does this make sense?
0: Yeah. So we've got really unique relationships with global strategics, right? And LPs who own really big businesses or are massive farmers or huge logistics companies. And I say, hey, what are the problems you're trying to solve? You know, what are your 20, 2030 sort of target goals? And what are the issues that you haven't solved so far? Right? Yeah. right. Let's go find a solution together.
1: Yeah. And for people that think that, like, all tech moves together, this is kind of tech. Yeah. But this is the, this is where tech becomes the sauce, not the everything. 100%. And, you know, they're... So VC can be non-tech, even though this is tech, it's tech-adjacent. Yeah. It's just...
0: And, you know, there are SaaS businesses, right, that support the farmers, the logistics companies, right? There are absolutely tech businesses that you would find interesting and social level to probably invest in that are in this world. Yeah.
1: We've done one. We did produce pay. We did around the edges. Now, yeah. the Emerging Manager Fund is more about finding the Nates, people that will pay a little extra fee um, because we're just not going to learn this. right? So we're taking, we'd rather work with the Nates than the actual founders and all these things because we just can't do the work, and we just can't be the best at what we do. Maybe we could be the best at picking the Nates in the next crop, Take what we've learned. Does that make sense, Knut? It makes a You're lot of sense. You're shaking your head. I don't no. know if it's like Howard's crazy. No, I'm not shaking my head. But that was our thinking <laughs> as tech becomes like, we don't want to be doing the same thing. I find it boring. This is why we're doing the podcast and now we're doing some video stuff is like to do the same stuff over, to play the same playbook is impossible. And I think food, food and beverage, I guess beverage too. And you did a popsicle as well. But... We
0: are early investors in Olipop.
1: And what's Olipop?
0: Olipop is a better-for-you soda uh, that we invested in four and a half years ago, pre-revenue, and that and Liquid Death are the two fastest-growing beverages in the world. so we're
1: competitors. Are we competitors or no? No. Um, Note to himself. So should Liquid Death make an Olipop? What is an Olipop? What's the secret sauce? So, you know, I took a sip of this. O-L-L? O-L-I-P-O-P. Well, great name, Olipop. And what what did that mean? It's a low-sugar,
0: low-calorie... Um, high-fiber soda right so you chase the cola you close your eyes you think you're drinking a diet coke hmm. right Their root beer is a clone of root beer they just released the cherry that's cola. like
1: shit tasting like shit root beer <laughs>
0: <laughs> they just released the cherry cola they're about to release sort of a, a lemon-lime sprite and know, where are they
1: distributing this everywhere
0: everywhere Whole Foods fries Safeway Target <laughs>
1: What's the differentiator? It just seems like it's not packaging. Is it really the formula or is it all marketing and distribution? So
0: when I met these guys, you know, four and a half years ago, I took a sip. Chicago? I'm based in Oakland. Okay. I took a sip of this and said, you know, I was like, wow, this is the first soda, you know, analogous thing I've tasted that really fills that gap. Um, And they had an incredible brand and product before they launched, which is kind of in CPG.
1: It's harder than people think. Yeah. When
0: you have a a plus brand and product before you launch, like that's kind of the first step. There are obviously many other boxes you need to check. Um, and they were kind of first to market and there've been a bunch of copycats. You know, there's one that literally directly copy their name and tried to copy their flavors. Wow. Um,
1: so it's just like tech, Nothing or compares, other
0: right? They have this proprietary IP of their formula and I think their product is best in class. And you know, whether you're, a multimillionaire or living on food stamps, right? The vast majority of people realize that, you know, drinking 50 grams of sugar of soda a day isn't good for you. And right. if you can fill it with something that tastes
1: very similar and isn't it. as bad for you. Do I order online or where, whole yeah, foods you, or something? I'll send you some. Okay. So I got free Olipop. See? Not right. all right. So, So that was when you were an angel investor?
0: Yeah. That was when we were an angel and we've, you know, I wrote a small personal check. Uh, the funny story about that, I had the founder over for dinner, my wife, Arielle, who you've met, uh-huh. guy walks in, she goes, Oh, I met chicken. And the founder, one of the founders, David, uh, is British. And David goes, Oh, I'm vegan. She looks at me. She goes, I'm going to kill you. And, uh, yeah. he left and I go, that was amazing. She goes, that was gross. Please don't invest. Oh, and so that happened. Now, with now death, she loves my, it. W- yeah. And I get to hold
1: it above her all the time, but now she's a huge fan. So. Yeah, in the house, when you bring products home, like Liquid Death, we were divided. Yeah. I wasn't invested, because it was Mike Lazaro. It was, it was a personal investment, and it was this, like, I don't know, water in a can. Uh, I was betting on the, you know, Mike is a wild man. but that... And it was divided the house. My, my, now I forget who. One thought, it, Rachel or Max thought it was dumb, the other one thought it was genius.
0: By the way, Liquid Death is a perfect example of something we'd invest in, because when you look at bottled water, right, Bottled water didn't exist until probably 30, 40, 40-ish years ago. Oh, it was just tap? Maybe it was even longer than that, but, like, it was this innovation Correct. that a lot of people didn't believe in. And it's not really an innovation. It's taking...
1: Really amazing that it is an innovation in a world that we complain about plastic. So it's, exactly. And so... so it took, It's a while that it took liquid death. It does taste a little different.
0: Ethan and I were talking about bottled water, and, you know, this bottle 15 years ago had more plastic and a bigger cap. Oh, Right, And so these massive corporations are saying, oh, we're going to better the environment by using less plastic and shrinking the cap. This is still a forever plastic that is going to take forever forever, forever to decompose in a landfill. And so liquid death, you know, aluminum is the most recyclable material in the it's world. It's
1: unbelievable. That, so it must taste different, and that's why people didn't do it. Or they were just so used to form factor. He's a great marketer. Look, when I'm you say,
0: hey, we're going to sell water in a can, And this is going to be a billion dollar idea. Like, even now, that sounds like the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. But there's, you know, probably five or six copycats who are doing canned water. Well,
1: Dasani's doing it. It looks ugly. No one's drinking it. I mean, I have to get it at the game, at the Suns game, because Dasani, probably Uh, Coke has a, a partnership. But... So again, it's not just about water in a can. What Liquid Death has done is relentless oh, they have pursuit. A, it's like, it's like Manscaped. You can't just have a good product and win. They have built it's an Pop-
0: incredible brand.
1: Right. And they just, you can't stop because yeah. they're coming for you because it's just water in a it's, can.
0: It's honestly, time and time again, all of their campaigns, some of the best things I see. All, you know, the skateboard with Tony Hawk's blood
1: in it. It was brilliant. I don't even know. I don't like, really? So that's a Liquid Death? Yeah. And they <laughs> released a
0: limited edition watch that had, you know,
1: blood on the dial yeah that's that's real. i know they're doing a a um arnold Palmer, like they're doing a iced tea lemonade and it's called armless palmer oh that's awesome yeah like that's funny it seems really dumb but it's it's it funny in the name of their brand and so you've got to keep going much like tech like zoom was the better product and then Teams. so it happens in cpg it happens in tech everything's clonable snapchat facebook you know you know, the innovation TikTok, but now everybody's going to have an algo. And and while everybody develops their algo, TikTok's going to have to monetize and change their, how they actually treat their users. So everybody catches everybody.
0: Yeah. And you have to keep evolving, you know, whether it's SaaS or, you know, consumer tech, I mean, look at Uber, right? Uber came out, Lyft came out and they didn't really create anything new. They were just creating an they easy actually
1: Copied Uber X was Lyft.
0: Yeah, really. they, they created sort of something, an easier way to do something, to take yeah. a taxi or get a town car,
1: right? I actually spent, even though I only use Uber Eats once or twice a month, and for the highest end food, they're making more money off me probably off Uber Eats than they ever would have they're on They're making Uber. more
0: money off Uber Eats than they do off
1: Uber. And I'm happy about it. And that was a secondary business to them. Yeah. Really fascinating. Do you use Uber Eats, Knut? No, I don't, but I use Uber, the regular one. Yeah, I use Uber, but like Uber Eats means more to me. I trust it. Like, it actually works, and the drivers seem happy, and I, it does, you know, my son's ordering $9 burgers, so that makes no sense from, like, a, a McDonald's, but if you're going to order and get ripped off at, at Nobu, I'd rather eat it at home than in the restaurant. You
0: know, when, for the intro, what am I panicked about? My second thing that I was concerned was getting old. Yeah. And, like, this is an example of how I'm getting old, you just said a $9 burger from McDonald's and like my heart skipped a beat. I'm like, shit, like what, what are those used to cost at McDonald's? I'm like, I'm like the guy who's well, saying I think they burgers are, still are $9 cheap, in but McDonald's? I think once
1: you have uh GoPuff deliver them yeah. or, or, or Uber Eats, maybe they're an exclusive. It's probably nine bucks is what I'm saying. I'll see Max. I don't know if your sons do it. Max does not embarrass that I see how he spends his money. <laughs> so he's still attached. Even though he could have his own bank account, he still keeps his account at Morgan Stanley because it just works. I see what he's eating. I'm petrified. I'm more petrified about how he's killing himself. So there was this period where he I just kept saying go puff, go puff, go puff. And I called him, I said, Dude, you're gonna smoke weed is one thing. <laughs> but like can you just get your own bank account so your mom and I don't think that you're a fucking stone. He goes, What the he goes, Dad, go puff's food delivery. <laughs> you know, it's not weed. So, and he first of all, he's right. Second of all, he didn't care that we knew whether it was weed or not. So it's a whole Well, it's legal in Arizona. Well, it's not that it's legal. It's just he doesn't care that we're seeing his data. where And we need to stop looking at it. But that's how we ate. We sat around and drank and ate. We didn't have money for, like, food. So, but, yeah. He, I mean, I remember, you know, when I got... A, I didn't get a
0: cell phone until I got a license, right? And for, I think, the first year I had my license, I carried around my mom's old cell phone, extra cell phone. And I didn't want to put... You know girls numbers in there so i also carried an index card with the girls numbers that i got and it's then like, i remember you know that was the free nights and weekends days and my parents would be like oh whose number is this why are you calling them all the time like it's just a different world
1: yeah it's a very different world so on food what excites you about food forget packaging what's exciting yeah you about food?
0: so i think the ingredients play is a really interesting one uh we have a couple investments there um I think the brand space today is, is hard um, because, you know, this all goes in cycles. You mean building a brand? In building a brand. It all goes in cycles. Everything always does. But for the past 10 years, these massive strategics have just gone earlier and earlier. Right? And said, hey, you know, where the- Like the re- Kellogg or Procter.
1: Where incredible. the threshold
0: used to be, okay, if you reach $100 million in sales, it's interesting to a strategic. And then it became 50 and- and then it
1: became 30, and then it became 20. And they started doing seed. Right? Coke was doing seed investment.
0: And now, time and time again, they just messed up these strategic acquisitions. Yeah. And these massive corporates, unless they can build one of these brands to a platform where it's $300 million in sales or more, it doesn't really matter to them. And so there's all these brands that are at, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars in sales that have gotten spent a lot of money to get there.
1: And then there's nowhere to go? And frankly, I think they
0: might be worthless. And so I It's think like a Shopify gonna, problem. There's going to be an opportunity for someone to say, someone to raise a few hundred million dollars and acquire these and create, you know, the P&G or the Unilever of the future because they're going to be able to buy these brands for cents on the dollar. I don't yeah. know when that is, but I think it's, you know, within the next We're years. in the,
1: We're in that phase where it's turning over and people are just starting to put that money together. Yeah. I was saying to a fund in Aspen, I was like, you could go and this is a free idea because I already gave it out, you know, that has 500 million to put to work and say, screw it, just go to Angel. Call Naval, say, write a letter to all your rolling funds and then we'll offer 20. You, you know, you're you're never going to make your five, 10 million dollars back for your LPs, right? We've done the math for you. Your wife's yelling at you. You should go get a job. Yeah. It's nobody's fault. Here's 10 cents on the dollar. Like, I can't go and do that to twenty. Five million dollar funds, but someone could go to Naval and just write a uh, what do you call it, like a hostile letter, a hostile takeover, yeah, of all of Angelus Rolling Funds. So, so the good news about having these platforms is someone can go do it. But I think yeah, the era of, and I'm fascinated by brand building, as are you, but it's not easy. No, and now, now, but I like that it's not easy now because now everybody realizes it's not easy. So now there's good people that that can attack this. And it's not a simple the blitz scaling and the growth hacking terms and the, you know, buy your customer on Facebook. That's over.
0: I've had this conversation a lot. Well, never was real. Yeah. You know, I've had this conversation a lot with regards to brand building. And I think it's applicable to consumer products. I think it's applicable to tech where there's two things that, you know, acquirers want. They want a brand and they want a formula. And the formula is much easier to protect and huh. harder to replicate than a brand, in my opinion, you know, because brands can
1: be fads. Well, brands can also be right? wrecked by a tweet.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: You know, I or was buying Twitter.
0: Yeah. I was talking to a, a guy today who was looking at a, a bracelet company that I don't even remember the name. You know, it was a fad four years ago. It was a 50 million business four years ago. And now they're doing $6 million in sales because it was you know the hottest thing at the time yeah and they had no formula they had you know essentially a brand that people were excited about
1: yeah and that's why i would say like manscape liquid death i don't count my money i've been Manscape; manscapes is, is just unreal i don't know liquid death close enough because i'm not i'm just a personal lp but what is the protection it's yeah. just water in a can so when i saw dasani i'm like oh this is over but like then i then i used Dasani. i'm like this is a cheap imitation in the sense that they're they are Hacking their way in. They're using their power to get the stadium. But kids don't want Dasani if they have a choice over Liquid Death.
0: I think Liquid Death is a really interesting use case. You know, because Mike and team there, and I don't know Mike, I am very envious of what he's built. They have done things that other people don't have the balls to. Yeah. Right? Like, they will lean into murder your thirst. And other, yeah. You know, Dasani's not going to go print the
1: word murder on your Same can. thing we're seeing with Manscaped. Exactly. It's like ball shaving. Everybody else is, they're scared to say it. You know, so, but you, you know, Paul, we've had Paul where he's, he's going to come on again, but where he just went with, um, he's doing the beer trimmer and he got John Daly. I don't know if you saw this canoe. So yes, John I Daly is see the that. spokesman. Yeah. Genius. Absolutely. So you can't go wrong. Like, who's he going to offend? He's offended everyone. So he's offended no one. Exactly. So he's the perfect spokesman. Pete yeah. Davidson offends everyone. Therefore Amazing. offends no one. Yeah. So I don't know. That's the skill. That I don't think I have. I don't think you can build a fund just around brands.
0: No, and there are people who have, you know, there are, it's an interesting conversation. Forerunner did it,
1: and I don't know if you can continue to do it because the trick is different now. Because Facebook and Apple have closed the pipe. So I'll be more impressed if they could do it again.
0: But There are, you know, talking about building a fund around brand, there are people on Twitter right now who are building funds purely on their personal brand. brand.
1: I'm talking about building a fund backing like e-commerce brands 100%. that was like a thing and i'm like i don't know so.
0: i think the age of you know investing in these DDC businesses i wouldn't say it's over but it is a vast you know it's like stone age to the middle age it is a yeah. different time period than it was it's just different yeah
1: all right great so um so ma- mainly chicago just here a little bit
0: yeah i live in chicago i question myself all the time why i live there. i really
1: there. do. i really can you know, I really do. I mean, as a kid growing up in Toronto, I love Chicago, felt like home, you know, but like, I don't get it.
0: You know, I was bored today and I was like, you know, I got 45 minutes. I'm yeah. going to go on a 30 minute run through yeah. the mountains, right? In Chicago, I got 45 minutes. I'm like, I'm going to go sit on my couch and probably fall asleep for an hour. It's it just different. It's
1: a different lifestyle and it feels outdated. And I know people love their city. People love Chicago. They feel they can't leave. I don't know. I feel like they should leave. It feels sad at some level because you, it's cold and like windy and this these big streets. It, or is downtown coming back?
0: Is downtown coming back? I don't live downtown. We moved right before COVID. We moved April 1st of 20 and bought our house in July of 19. Probably the best investment I'll ever make. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you hearing? It's not as bad as people say. Sure. Right. It never is.
1: But who goes and fills all that in? Is it the next generation? What are the jobs? Like, why do people want to be down? I think the
0: young people are always going to be there, right? Mm -hmm. You know, my generation, it was interesting because my generation, you know, five years older, five years younger, in terms of the suburbs, we were kind of that missed generation, right? Nobody wanted to ever move to the suburbs and everyone was staying longer. You know, when we were looking for houses, we would go look at streets, right? And there'd be 12 houses for sale on a single street. And now, you know, COVID was the driver of it. Nobody wants to stay in the city, you know, when they have kids or very, very few people. Um, I think it's, it, look, it's all cyclical as everything yeah. is. I love the city of Chicago. Uh, I think it's always going to exist. And I think it's, um, I feel safe when I'm there. Right. And if you don't do stupid things, if you're not walking on the street by yourself, you know, at midnight, you're going
1: to be fine. No, but I'm just talking weather. Yeah. Lifestyle. Forgetting the cri- There's crime everywhere. No, the, the, the weather is always going to exist. Right. Like I don't get it. And Chicago's like there, they're all here, but that they, they go back. Yeah. I guess cause they feel it's close and they can just get away. You know, it's
0: the center of the country, right? You're never too far from anywhere.
1: But does Phoenix feel like to you, like, is, the, is it the place that you would go? If you had to leave, would you go to Phoenix?
0: I would have to talked to my wife because her, no, but I'm saying, she's if, a Florida person. Oh, yeah. Florida. Um, well,
1: that you, I was never a Florida person. Yeah.
0: I am You know, I feel like you're either a mountains or an ocean guy.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I'm a mountains person. I could go, you know, on a five-hour hike by myself and not speak to a single person and be happy. So, like, yeah. You go to Tom Sum? You,
1: yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Right. It's such a great right. hike. Very good. And so what are your minimum check sizes? What do you write? 250,
0: 500? We write 250 to 750 first check-in.
1: Yep. So first check-in, you've got a food idea, manufacturing idea. You're already helping out a bunch of ASU kids that are hitting you up here. Uh, there's some cool stuff, right? Yeah. Like, so what do you think about the utes? What do you think?
0: I think people are more ambitious than they've ever... I was talking, ever, right? I was talking to Ethan. He's 20. I didn't know what venture capital was when I was in college, right? Like, I didn't know this was a thing. He's asking real questions. Yeah. And the fact that kids are doing this and wanting to do this, like, I think it's makes it harder, right? Because there's going to be so much more competition as there always is, but it's awesome.
1: Yeah. And they're not just thinking about it as like, it's just tech anymore. Now I'm panicked and about getting old again. No, yeah, 35 is prime. You don't start doing anything to your fifty, 50 uh, unless you inherited it. As you see, even if you have successful parents, the grind is the grind. Oh, you got, At least you have a parent that can like console you because they've taken risk. But um, you gotta get your ass kicked. Yeah, I don't think you know what success is. You can't appreciate success until you've just been had the rug pull. All right, this is fun. Nate Cooper Barrel Ventures, Chicago. So thanks for uh, joining us today for a thanks second for live you. live interview. You are listening to Panic with Friends where Howard, me, sits down with uh, friends, uh, family, um, wanted people, experts, venture capitalists, traders, uh, trying to get a little bit in front of the future. And, I, and what I'm passionate about uh, food packaging is that these industries are enormous. Everybody's been focused on Web 2 and the world keeps humming along and as, as, as uh, like we said with Ukraine, you don't realize how important things are until they're taken away from us. So um, probably why the market is more resilient than we think. It's big out there. The, the, the money is rotating is all that's happening right now into things that actually matter, which is uh, planet. So good for you. Good for Barrel Ventures. Good for uh, me, if uh, Nate does well. And uh, you can search my name, Howard Linson, uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, Uh, You'll see Panic with Friends. Subscribe, and you'll get one of these every week. Talk to everybody next week. Howard Linzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.